0: Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: All right, Buffalo Bills fans, welcome to another episode of Breaking Buffalo Rumblings. Anthony Marino here with you once again, talking everything Buffalo Bills. Happy to have a special guest with me today. His name is Jeff Sharon. He's the managing editor of the Black and Gold Banneret site for us here at SB Nation. And that is the blog for the UCF Golden Knights. We're happy to have him on with us today. Talking Gabriel Davis. Jeff, thanks for joining.
2: Hey, what's going on? Oh, by the way, qu- uh, Anthony, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, we dropped the golden like 13 years ago. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> you know what? It's uh, <laughs> It takes me a little while to catch on with some of the new trends, so... Things off to a great start here on the podcast today, but all kidding aside, it's great to have you with us.
2: That, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I I, I, uh, I wanted to, uh, we've been following, you know, obviously we're here to talk about Gabe Davis and, you know, we're so excited to see that he's made some uh, made some big strides in the early going up here in Buffalo, but thank you so much for having me and uh, um, yeah, what an exciting time. Hopefully we'll actually get to see some more football now, right?
1: Well, it seems like, right, from that standpoint, at least everything is progressing in the way that it should. But, you know, for Buffalo Bills fans, over these past two weeks, right, padded practices starting to take place, everybody is full on board the Gabriel Davis hype train. And the media, they're limited in what they can report, but everything we see from the beat reporters, it just seems like he continues to shine day in and day out. I'm assuming you're not surprised by this, but why don't you give us uh, your take you know, as he kind of steps onto the field in Buffalo and what he can bring to the offense.
2: Oh, you're right. We're not surprised by that um, at all. You know, Gabe is a, you know, from the very beginning, he's been a prototypical kind of uh, just he he checks all the boxes. Like there's nothing even going back to his freshman year at UCF, there was there was nothing on him that was that was like wow he's really great at this or he really has superior size he has excellent size he's not Brandon Marshall right I mean Brandon Marshall was here he was six foot five but right. you know he's six two two ten has uh, I, I would say as you guys have found out very deceptive speed because he's a big dude he's got enormous hands I mean what receiver doesn't. Um, but you know he's a local kid who down here in Orlando we've known for a long time. Like he played at Seminole High School, which is in Sanford, which is just north of Orlando, won a state championship there, um, and uh, almost, believe it or not, almost went into the army before uh, deciding to go to college, and uh, and uh, uh, came over to UCF. And you know there were flashes of him because you know in the early part of his career here because we had some really good receivers in front of him like you know in 2017 he was a freshman the year UCF went undefeated and and uh, and and claimed a national championship uh, Davis went you know he had 27 catches um, four of them for touchdowns including the season along that year for UCF but the the difference was he was behind Traquan Smith who got drafted by the New Orleans Saints and then in 2018 you know he stepped up again he had 53 catches and seven touchdowns, but he was behind um, Dredrick Snelson, who bizarrely never got drafted and was not and didn't latch on with an NFL team either, despite the fact that he's an incredibly fast wide receiver. Um, but 2019 was his real breakout year as a junior 72 catches, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns, you know, 17.2 a grab. And he was by far and away the obvious threat that teams tried to shut down every week and they couldn't do it. Uh, so to see what he was doing with, especially with a true freshman quarterback in 2019, he was catching passes from in in Dylan Gabriel, um, you know, to see what Gabe has been doing at, at, you know, throughout his college career and to see that translate over to the pro level, none of us are surprised by that. And, um, and it's, it's, it's fun watching the, uh, watching the videos that do come out of Bill's practice, because all of us in UCF Twitter mafia are like, we told you, we told you people this would happen.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's great to see that it is happening. And, you know, a little history too, right? It seems like each year the Bill's receiving core has been getting better. And it's always been in the past where you had to take that moment and, you know, here's an undrafted free agent that people are excited about or somebody that was taken really in the late rounds and now you get to the point this year, I think so much of the focus was on those targets in the first round. Mm-hmm. Looked at it saying Buffalo needed that true number one receiver. Go back, right? You make the trade for Stefan Diggs, and all of a sudden, it's that's not so much of a need in the draft as maybe some other positions are. But you still need depth at the position. You were expecting the Bills to draft a wide receiver. And they take Davis in the fourth round. And I think like many fans, right, it was Dane Bugler from The Athletic that had said a lot of good things about Davis heading into the draft. But really from that standpoint, it's like, okay, fourth round draft pick, expectations aren't too high. I guess when you look back to the draft, when you saw Davis go in the fourth round, are you thinking, man, from a talent standpoint, he slipped way further than he should have? I mean, talk to me about what your expectations were heading into the draft
2: oh yeah definitely was i i think that was definitely the case that he slipped much further than he would have for a couple reasons number one obviously he 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 plays at ucf if he played at florida or florida state and did the same things he would have been a surefire number one pick there's just no doubt about that um i I think the other thing that uh, that kind of went down was kind of what i mentioned before is that he does a lot of things extraordinarily well but he doesn't do one thing you know that really blows your mind right like uh Um, he's, he, he's, he's worked so hard at being a, at being an all around receiver. There's a good video that, that I want to share with you guys too, where he was, uh, um, doing some workouts with Brandon Marshall. And, and Marshall had a lot of high praise for him at the time. And, and, and that's the kind of guy that you want to, certainly that you want to hear from. Obviously, you know, going back to their UCF connection, but, you know, Brandon Marshall knows receivers and he knows what it takes because here's a, there's another guy who was not highly drafted at all. I think Brandon went in the third or fourth round. I forget exactly where, but um, ended up being one of the greatest receivers in recent memory, probably in NFL history. So, um, but again, I think, I, I think it speaks to the, the nature of the draft also nowadays, where you know, I, I don't think it's truly fair to evaluate players saying, "Oh, well, this guy went in the fourth round, so you know, maybe expectations weren't all that high." Because by that point, you know, play, you know, teams are drafting for need, and there are so many areas where where teams are trying to obtain that value you know maybe Gabe had you know a fourth round grade for Buffalo but you know some other teams would have drafted him higher but they had other needs that were ahead of him and so he just happened to slip to the right spot but um but regardless of that you know the bottom line is he's got his he's got his chance right all any all any of these guys ever want is give me that shot and so far you know, Gabe has Gabe has not wasted his shot one bit uh, in the early going. I'm sad we don't have any preseason football. Where we could see what he really looks like out there um, in in live action. I guess we're going to have to wait until the regular season opens. But
1: you know, each year we rail on the preseason games I know. and then you lose them, and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, what I would do for yeah. one or two games just to see some of these guys in live action. But You know, as you bring it up, an interesting thing in the flagship station for the Bills this morning, Jeremy White uh, was talking about Davis. and, And really, he was talking with Sal Capaccio, the sideline reporter for the Bills. And he said, the thing that I like best about Davis right now is that he doesn't have to come in and be a savior. And again, you look back to some years past and you would say, gosh, you know, for the Bills offense, if this guy can splash or if this late round pick or undrafted free agent, now it's a position where you've got John Brown, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley as your you know first three options, I guess you could say. But then you've got someone like Davis, who's your wide receiver number four, most likely, as a rookie. But it gives him the time to develop where there's not too many expectations coming in. But hey, if he can make any sort of an impact with the offense, that'll be a great thing for the Buffalo Bills.
2: Oh yeah, certainly. And, and I think that's one of those key things where he can kind of ease into it. I don't know what the contract situation is with the, with the other guys, but certainly not as well as you do, but you know, there are going to be opportunities for him if he can get to that fourth spot in the, in the, on the depth chart, because as, as you guys know, you know, Josh Allen's really struggled with the deep ball. And, uh, and, and certainly, has, with,
1: I, I I haven't been reminded that.
2: Yeah, for, <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I, th- well, I think one of the things that I think, I mean, now, I, I happen to be a Josh Allen fan and, and even going back to watching him you know, in, in, at Wyoming. And I think one of the reasons why is because, well, well, partially I think it's because of the weather, but also, you know, I, I think one of the things is you kind of have to have a receiver out there who's forgiving, you know, especially initially when you're a young quarterback like that and, Gabe Davis kind of gives him that forgiveness because remember, like you said, he was catching, you know, he's catching deep balls from initially from Mackenzie Milton, who, uh, uh, you know, is an incredibly accurate passer initially. But, you know, last year, you know, Gabe, um, you know, with with the situation with Mackenzie Milton, with that injury, right? Right. Um, He had, you know, he had to come in and play and play initially with Brandon Wimbush, who was not an overly accurate passer. And then Dylan Gabriel, who is a true freshman and granted, you know, is known for his accuracy uh, or at least became known for his accuracy. But it's still tough when you're a true freshman. And Gabe showed a true accuracy. spectrum of skills because you know he obviously had you know he had the deep ball threat that everyone likes to talk about but he also had some games where he kind of turned it over into a possession receiver in particular like the uh, believe it or not UCF's loss against Cincinnati had uh, he had uh, over a dozen catches in that game um which was a season high for any UCF um for any UCF receiver and so he kind of showed off his ability to read defenses and and show that possession game right so I I, I do think that um in terms of the skills that he's able to bring to the table uh this is going to be a big this is going to be a big advantage for Josh having you know, having that many you know uh, chances to open things up you know c- certainly not to take away from some of the other guys who I think you know are still getting used to the concept uh, to, or still getting used to working with Josh Allen and that takes some time but um you know I, I personally th- it, as if, if I'm in the AFC East right now if I'm Miami or or, uh, or the Jets or New England, you know, I'm not going to take that for granted now, and nor should they if they've watched any film on Gabe Davis.
1: Well, and to your question before, from the contract standpoint, John Brown is in year two of a three-year deal with the Bills, right? So if you were to look at things and say, okay, in one of those outside spots, Stefan Diggs at his age, you know, still has, I believe, four years left on his contract with the Bills. Mm-hmm. But Brown to have two years left. You know, he's already at age 30. You know, is this one of those pieces? Certainly, if Davis does flash, uh, could be an opportunity for him in the future.
2: Yeah. And the other thing is, as as good a deep threat as John Brown has been earlier in his career, like you mentioned, at the age of 30 and Cole Beasley's 31, but also John's only 5'11", and right. Gabe is 6'2". And just anecdotally, I can tell you about Gabe. Like, I've you know, I've stood next to him several times, and I see him listed at 6'2", and I'm like, he ain't no 6'2". He's, he's probably six, three, maybe pushing six, four. And, um, I don't know. I don't know who actually measured that measured out like that, but he was, he's a big kid when he stand next to him. But, um, but yeah, there's going to be some opportunity here, I think. And, and, and what I love about what we always loved about Gabe was he was, he was a really kind of silent leader on the team. You know, he wasn't really a rah-rah guy was just the exact kind of dude who goes out there and just gets the job done. Um, And uh, I'll give you a good example of that. So this previous season in 2019, UCF had a big non-conference game at home against Stanford. And the big matchup coming into the game was Gabe Davis against Paulson Adebo, the defensive back for Stanford, who was um, considered to be an All-American and uh, was also and potentially an early entrant into the NFL draft if things went well. Well, Gabe absolutely toasted paulson adibo in that game um you know caught uh pulling up the numbers actually right here for if four, four listed officially four catches 63 yards and a touchdown but he, he was all over him in the early going caught a long touchdown pass and it opened up a couple of, and because they moved debo over to him it gave a couple of other receivers like marlon williams the chance to actually make some the chance to make some plays but clearly Gabe Davis owned that matchup and the, uh, that was, and that was on national television and all prior to that week, we didn't hear any, we didn't hear boo from Gabe Davis. Right. And, uh, you know, and and he could have, you know, he could have just as well, you know, kind of made it like almost like a boxing match, right? Like, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, (laughs) we'll see who the best guy is out here, but, but he didn't, um, he just let us play, do the talking. And, uh, I think that that sort of aspect is underrated because, you know, with a young quarterback like Josh Allen, there's no previous guys who are out there saying, you know, Hey rookie, you don't know, you you know, we've been around this league longer than you. Now there's some guys that are kind of that, that he can kind of definitely have legitimate leadership over. Kind of like, kind of like, you know, I'm a Giants fan. Kind of like when the Giants let um, Jeremy Shockey go and Eli Manning was the unquestioned leader of that team. Right. Um, I think that I think there's a similar situation brewing there where, you know, it, it's Josh Allen's going to be the ace and everyone knows it.
1: Jeff, so let me ask you more about Allen, right? Because you talk about following him and, and kind of how, let's just say his style as a quarterback fits with Davis and his style as a receiver. Um, albeit, right, the the Bills did not have the uh towering receiving core last year when they would really have three receiver sets with Isaiah McKenzie, John Brown and Cole Beasley, all three of these guys well under six feet tall. Now you add Stefan Diggs to the mix, but you add someone like Davis, who you said probably in the 6'3 to 6'4 range. He was talking with the media today, said he's probably up to 219 pounds. I mean, Talk about him as a fit. You talk about him as a deep threat, but also in the red zone. I mean, help Bill's fans understand how he can be utilized as a weapon here as well.
2: Well, in the NFL, I mean, you know how it is. Like defensive backs are so big and so physical, and you have to to find a way to get yourself open and – despite the fact that they're going to beat the living tar out of you every single day. I know everyone wants to talk about pass interference, but you know, go ask an NFL receiver how hard it is to still get open nowadays. Right. Um, The digs move, I think was really key. You know, obviously, obviously six feet tall straight up, but I'm really, when you have a guy like Gabe, who's six, two, six, three, you can be versatile with him. So like you mentioned deep threat, we know how fast he is deceptively fast, uh, I saw the video. who did he roast the other day uh, at at practice? I think it was I think it was Dre White, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he well, the long the long touchdown pass was over Tradavius White Tre, which, yeah, I, I mean, the fact that the bills from their official uh, social media account put that out there and you know, Trey White, to his credit, hopped up and you know, commended the rookie on a running a good route
2: and yeah, they were right back at it that's a that's a four year defensive back out of LSU right there. So, uh, and granted, you know he's he graduated in 2016. He's still a young guy out there, but that kind of gives you the idea of the talent that Gabe has. And then we've also seen in many cases here at UCF how effectively he's been inside the 20. Uh, In particular, in 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 an offense where you know they, even though UCF runs very fast, they do like to go they do like to predicate things on run first and then run the offense extremely quickly, you know, only taking about seven seconds from the end of the play until from the, from the end of the play until the next snap. So we're used to that kind of no huddle thing. And uh, what I'm really excited to see is what Gabe is able to do When plays break down and Josh Allen gets out of the pocket, I mean, we know how good of a runner he is. I would argue he's probably he's probably one of the top three best running quarterbacks in the NFL, um, which is so unusual for a guy who's so big, yeah, you know, and 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 kind and kind of lanky a little bit. It's you know, every time he runs, you know, I'm always worried about you know, oh my god, is is a limb going to fall off at some point? But
1: (laughs) you you and me both.
2: Yeah, I know. (laughs) But uh, but Gabe does give him. Uh, a a little bit something extra where you know he can turn it upfield and if a play breaks down he can throw it deep if he's in one-on-one or he can come back to to the ball as he did many times with Dylan Gabriel when Dylan had to break out of the pocket and also Mackenzie Milton too I think that part was very underrated because you know Mackenzie would have to would run around keep plays alive and then make an accurate throw downfield so um, I'm very interested to see what the offensive staff at Buffalo decides to do in those situations, Josh, when plays break down, here's what we're going to do. And Gabe, here's what you're going to do. That's going to be a really exciting thing to see going forward because it's something that, you know, I mean, I grew, I grew up in the days of just like you did, you know, watching, you know, Kelly and Reed and Lofton and Thurman and all those guys. And, and it it, it was uh, it was really underrated how good they were, you know, with the deep ball. Especially in, in, on snow, of all things, snowy, icy, windy days in Orchard Park. And uh, if these two guys can develop that same kind of connection, look out. That's going to be a really, that's going to be a really fun offense to watch.
1: Jeff, let me ask you a question about UCF because I, I imagine, right, playing in the American Conference with a lot of pieces, you look at things in a, a team that, consistently beats teams from major conferences, right? The last two years, the great success that's been had, you know, here in Buffalo with the bills, we always look at things and you, the disrespect card a little bit, sometimes not getting the recognition that you need. That starts to change a little bit, but I would imagine you look at someone like Davis and what he can do going in the fourth round, again, how UCF consistently, knocks off teams from the power five conferences you know i've got to imagine it's it's more recognition like this guys getting drafted breaking out onto that scene you're you're probably just sitting there saying like yeah we've been telling you this for years it's just you know, time that people start to wake up and see what the Knights are doing.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not just the similarities between the UCF Twitter, Twitter Mafia and the Bills Mafia that we're talking about here, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Uh, You know, two, two of the two of the most fun fan bases to follow on social media. But when it comes to the talent that UCF produces, it's easy for everyone to forget this. That you know, I mean, UCF is located in Orlando, literally the center of the state. Florida, Florida State, and Miami no longer have the monopoly that they did on talent. You know, ever since in 1992, when the um, when the scholarship limits were dropped from uh, from 85, or excuse me, from 95 to 85, um, th- it, that enabled UCF to move up from. You know, initially they were. You know, remember UCF started as a D three program in 1979. Okay. That's crazy. Very young program. Right. And moved up to D2, D1AA, and then to and then finally to D1A in uh, 1996. And for a long time, it was without a conference, even played in the Mac for a while uh, with a bunch of teams from Ohio and Michigan. But uh, over time, you know, it was uh, another uh, another uh, central New York guy. Right. George O'Leary came in. And, uh, and really developed UCF into a true Division I FBS-level football program and, uh, and, and produced a lot of talent. And there, was, there was a lot of talent before O'Leary was around, too, like during the Mike Kruzek days. You know, uh, Brandon Marshall was not recruited by George O'Leary. He was recruited by Mike Kruzek. In fact, at one point, UCF's two wide receivers were Brandon Marshall and Mike Sims-Walker, who had a, who had a career with the Jaguars for a little bit. Um, You know, guys like Doug Gabriel, who played for the New England Patriots and the Oakland Raiders back in the day, Um, and a number of defensive players as well. Then, you know, UCF continues to develop as a program. Um, and then when O'Leary finally, you know, when the game finally passed O'Leary by you move over to a guy like Scott Frost and now it's the new era of football, right? So, um, you know, I, I, you pr- your fans probably heard me mention, you know, the, the national championship of 2017, uh, it's in the book. Can't take it away. NCAA recognizes it. Uh, sorry, all, sorry, all you Bama fans just deal with it. Um, the, uh, and, and, and I, we as fans just like you guys have always said you know if it's just a matter of time it's just a matter of time that everyone's going to finally find out what the secret's all about uh and i think that's starting to finally come to fruition you know like you said you know ucf consistently plays well and defeats power conference teams all the time. It, it used to be, we used to have a little a saying where, you know, how, how are we going to UCF this one, right? We, we used to play teams like that all the time and lose to them in the most ridiculous, dramatic fashion. Um, and now we've been winning those games consistently, uh, third straight year. This year is actually the third straight year that the Knights have been ranked in the top 25 in the preseason. That's never happened before. Anytime there's some conf- there's rumors about conference movement uh, UCF is is certainly the first team, if not one of the first mentioned as a potential team to move to a uh, to a power conference one day. Uh, and I think that uh, that the investment that um, Danny White, the athletic director who was the ad at the University at Buffalo before coming to Absolutely. before coming to UCF, you know the, the investment that he's made in the program uh, not just in football but in all the programs, Um, has certainly been key UCF is you know I've always said it was the quintessential 21st century athletic program and now it's just a and and now everyone's kind of waking up and discovering the secret that's you know that we've been keeping all along out here and it's and it's fun to watch and seeing how the uh, how the talent acquits itself uh, at the professional level in in football and then also recently in basketball actually is going to be is going to be a lot of fun to see.
1: Well, and I think it's always that question too, right? So when you think of certain areas and you talk about schools that could have the opportunity to jump to a major conference, and it's always a difficult decision, at least in my opinion. You know, you could say, oh gosh, we could compete in the ACC or the SEC or whatever that piece may look like. But, you know, along those same lines, you can also say, listen, we've got a good thing where we are. Um, We're making to bowl games. We're making to the NCAA tournament for basketball. You know, do you need to make that jump? And I'm I guess I'm just curious since I've got you on the line with me. I mean, where do you fall with that? Would you want to see UCF make the jump or do you look at it and say, listen, we can be in a position where we can play those power five schools. We can get those wins and we can still make a national name for ourselves while the rest of the schools in Florida seem to be floundering right now.
2: I think that in in, in my heart of hearts, and I think in the heart of hearts of a lot of, of most of the fans out there is they, they still want to see UCF make a major conference, you know, as, as wonderful as, the American had, I think, has been to us, and I'm kind of in the minority among UCF fans. I actually really enjoy the American. I think it's kind of a, a it's kind of been the inheritor of the old Metro Conference, and, uh, and 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 there's a lot of talented teams out there as we've been seeing. You know, Cincinnati just gave Luke Fickle, their head coach, a big contract extension. We saw how good they were last year. Uh, Memphis won the M- Memphis actually won the conference last year, which was uh, and uh, and played Penn State in their bowl game. But I think uh, I, I think a lot of fans want to see UCF um, get into one of those, as we say, power five conferences, because um, not just because they think they can compete. But as long as the system of college football, the F, the FBS system is uh, is one where it's the college football playoff is essentially an invitational. And it's not like it is an FCS, where if you if you win your conference, you get into the dance. Um you know basically they're just picking it's a beauty contest right now and they're they're just not as we've seen time and time again two years in a row two straight conference championship regular season undefeated seasons for UCF in 17 and 18 and they didn't even get a sniff of the college football playoff like not they didn't even finish in the top 6 they barely finished in the top 10 which tells us you know what it's it's because we're not in that in one of those leagues they're just not going to give um the program, the respect that they feel it deserves. And so um, yeah, I think, yeah, UCF fans want to see want to see the Knights in, uh, you know, who knows, maybe it's the Big 12. Maybe if something really crazy happens in in the wake of COVID-19, if there's if there's an opportunity to play on the same level and have the same chance of a national title of winning a national title on the field. Um, As the uh, as the uh, uh, our in-state as as our in-state brethren do, uh, I I think you're going to see fans continue to pine for that. And I think and I think they're justified in doing so.
1: He's Jeff Sharon. He's the managing editor of Black and Gold Banneret, covering the U.S. UCF Knights for SB Nation. Jeff, why don't you uh, tell everyone where they can find your work? Of course, anything that you might have on Gabriel Davis, but obviously UCF and getting ready for a big 2020 season.
2: Right. Well, you can follow us on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, and that's B A N N E R E T. UCF underscore Banneret. We do a lot of work also in following in uh, in sort of looking at our alumni in the NFL and also who the potential prospects will be down the line. Uh, you can, if you're on Facebook, you can follow us there at Facebook.com/slash Black and Gold Banneret, uh, and you can follow me individually at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter as well.
1: Hey, Jeff, it was a real pleasure to have you on with us today, and hopefully we'll have plenty to talk about with Gabriel Davis throughout the rest of training camp and the regular season for the Buffalo Bills. So really appreciate you joining us today.
2: Anthony, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the good weather while you got it. (laughs)
1: Thanks, man. We'll (laughs) talk to you soon. Everybody, thanks for tuning in, and as always, go Bills.